0: This is Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 15. Wow, I cannot believe that it's already episode 15, meaning I'm roughly 12 or 13 weeks into the year of doing one podcast a week, with the exception of last week, of course, because I did not get one done in time last week. Um, Super bummed. I was literally in the midst of moving houses, getting a new car, and everything else in my life that I have to do, like work and go to school and do homework and prepare for midterms and all that. So I apologize that there was no podcast last week. However, this week I've been thinking long and hard about what to do for this podcast. And, uh, it's just me, uh, no one to interview this week, but I'm in my basement. It's, oh wow. It's exactly 11:59 PM. And I've been thinking, what do I want to do for my podcast this week? And I kind of want to expand on a blog post I wrote last week. And basically the blog post was just, um, about my new tattoo. Um, if you haven't seen it, Uh, There's pictures on the website, but it's, it's literally just a, it's on my arm. It's a big white circle about the size of, I don't know, a baseball, maybe a big white circle and then down and off to the side a little bit is a smaller black square, maybe the size of a die. Yeah. It's about the size of a, like one side of a die, a dice, a die. And so, uh, but that's black. So it's a small black square next to a big white circle. And basically I wrote this blog post to explain it and some thoughts on God. And when people ask me about it, the short story, the short version I give them is it's about holiness and transcendence. And that means um, if we are a small black square, then us trying to understand or comprehend God is like a small black square trying to understand or comprehend a giant white circle. There's absolutely no means of comprehending or understanding this transcendent holy being which is just other than us. Um, He is truly other. And yet, most of the time when we think about or describe God, he kind of looks a lot like us and seems a lot more... Squarish and blackish um, than you know than he truly is, which is big and white and circular, so um that 's kind of the simple meaning behind it is holiness a reminder that God is so far above and beyond what we can imagine or comprehend that he is holy um, and so you know it's just kind of I like the idea of taking a real deep and intricate thought and transmuting it into this tiny little simple, you know, two symbols and colors. So that's the meaning behind it. Alternatively, um, I like to think that if the small black square represents Christians, us Christians, and the big white circle represents the world, in the same way, we should look so different from the world in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we use our bodies and our money And, you know, every aspect of our lives should look so different from the world that to the world, we look like a small black square when everyone else is acting like a big white circle. Yeah, I think most of the time Christians just kind of blend in with the world and you can't really tell a difference between the way they live and the way the world lives. You have Christians who sleep with whoever they want or move in with their boyfriend or girlfriend before a marriage. They basically spend all their money on themselves. Um... Fun fact the average American tithes 2%. 2%. That means 98% of their income gets spent on themselves or their family. 2%. Just imagine what the American church could do if every American tithed 5% or 10%. You know, not only would we not struggle to pay pastors' salaries. But we could send missionaries everywhere and we could feed people everywhere and clothe people and get people into homes where it's warm and they don't have to sleep outside. Um, you know, the church is the vehicle that God has instituted to do that in the world. And we can't do that, literally, when, you know, 98% of Christians are just being so stingy. And I know I, I misused my statistic there, but you get the picture. Like, imagine. What we could do if everyone tithed just, you know, five to 10% as opposed to two, it's almost pathetic, you know? Um, But anyway, that was a tangent. Imagine, or sorry, anyway, that was a tangent, but the way that we interact with every area of our lives should look so different from the world. Um, my dad uses the phrase, uh, you know, when, when historians look at the ancient Romans, they slept with whoever they want, and there was absolutely no moral about who you shared the bed with. Um, so in other words, they were generous with their beds. Meanwhile, the Romans were also, you know, just like Americans overall, spent money on themselves, and their their money and their resources went to themselves. So they were stingy with their wallets. And then historians have pointed out that ancient Christians in the first, second, and third centuries uh, lived life exactly the opposite. They were very stingy with who they shared their beds with, um, i.e. just their spouses. So a man would only sleep with his wife as a Christian and a wife only with her husband. And yet their wallets were open, And they gave to the poor, and they fed the hungry, and they clothed the naked. And they were, uh, you know, in Acts uh, 2 and 4, it says there were no needy persons among them. And they were so generous with their wallets. like It says uh, in Acts 4, I think it is, nobody owned anything, nobody claimed anything for themselves, but they held everything in common. I love that idea. We all love that idea, I guess, in theory, until we actually have to open up our wallets. But... Yeah, so in other words, Romans, stingy with their wallets, open with their beds. Christians, stingy with their beds, open with their wallets. You know, it's a polar opposite of the way that the culture at large lived their lives. And I just think that's so cool. And I, think, I wish the American church looked like that and people could say, Wow, uh, Lil Wayne, Drake, Jay-Z, whoever is rapping or singing about sleeping with everybody and getting money. But then I look at Christians, and they're living their lives. Their goals are completely opposite. They want to give as much as they can. They want to remain as pure as they can. Like, what's up with those guys? They look so different from us. So anyway, the big white circle could also be seen as the world. And we, Christians, instituting the kingdom of heaven on earth, look so different from it. So, it's just a couple, like, smaller meditations in a poetic-slash-symbolic-artistic way Um, of thinking about Christianity. And so tonight, um, in case you can't tell, I'm also trying to speak a little quietly since everyone else in the house is sleeping, which is why I'm in the basement. But um, I wanted to just share a couple random thoughts on God. And I know that that's a gigantic topic and by no means will this be a conclusive uh, diagnostic of God and who he is. But... I guess the first one would be the explanation of my tattoo, as obviously that's something I'm still wrestling with. And the last thing I'll say about my tattoo is a friend of mine from seminary looked at it and he said, well, after I explained it to him, he says, the problem is these two things are irreconcilable. As it is, there's no accounting for Jesus, who obviously is fully God, fully big white circle. And yet he takes on small black square, you know? He took on the fullness of sinful flesh, is what Paul says. And I was like, yeah. And, and st- still, to this day, I, I wrestle with, how do you portray that visually? And also, is that necessarily the same line of thought, you know? I think it's one thing to say, yes, Christ has fully taken on humanity, he has fully bridged that gap between the two, between deity and humanity. And he has fully incarnated, fancy word for taking on our flesh, lived our life, died our death, and so on, all the other elements of the gospel. He has fully done those things, absolutely. But I, I wonder if my tattoo is more philosophical in nature, in that it's more about us understanding God, I have a pastor friend, uh, his name is Andrew, and now he's a pastor down in Colorado Springs. And he, one of the sermons I always remember from him is when he said, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, Andrew, I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm losing my faith. What's wrong with me? Why am I not a good Christian? Why do I feel like I'm losing my faith? And after talking to most of them, he says, I come to the conclusion that they are not losing their faith in God. That something bad is not happening with them and the Almighty. But in in reality, what's actually happening is this very small conception of God, which they held in a very small box, is being smashed and obliterated. And that is being destroyed. And they're not losing their faith in the real God. He's not abandoning them. But rather their, their conception, their image of God is expanding exponentially as these smaller, lowercase g, gods are being destroyed and uh, consumed. Um, you know, whether it's a, a, a terrible crisis in your life of losing a child or a parent or a friend or uh, getting cancer or getting sick, um, something like that. You know, those are the times I think, um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers in our joy, but he screams in our pain. Those are the times that we, you know, we, we gain a whole new perspective of who God is and what he's all about. And sometimes that looks like a crisis of faith, but in reality, I wonder if it's like, hey, maybe my Baptist faith or my you know, kind of closed-minded, legalistic, fundamentalist, charismatic, whatever it is, faith, that's being destroyed And maybe that's a good thing, because God is so much bigger than any one of those categories. He's so much bigger than this tiny little box we put him in. So anyway, relating back to the tattoo, that is, um, you know, when when we visualize God, I think too often, we visualize him as another small black square, rather than who he is, which is someone and something absolutely transcendent. Divine, incomprehensible, inexhaustible, and um, you know uh, when we think we have him understood, I think is the point where we, that's kind of a dangerous place to be. And you got to say, whoa! Um, even in the Bible, I think one of the most amazing things is how God perpetually uses unclean things to accomplish his mission. In the Gospels, we see Jesus reach out and touch these unclean people and be in places no good Jew would have ever been for instance in mark we read about the demoniac the man who was possessed by a legion of demons roughly uh, a, a roman legion would have been 6000 roman soldiers so presumably this man had roughly 6000 demons inside of him and where does jesus meet him he meets him in a graveyard And, you know, no good Jew would ever go near a graveyard because to be near dead things meant that you would be an unclean person and you would be put outside of the city, outside of the camp. And yet Jesus goes into this place to meet this guy to cast out these demons. And then where does he freaking drive them to? A herd of 2,000 pigs. And... As you know, probably, um, pigs, bacon, pigs were unclean uh, for Jews to interact with as well. So twice in that story, Jesus, God himself, interacts with in some way something that every other Jew would have considered unclean. And to me, that's just amazing that God steps outside the bounds that Jews of the time would have put him in. He wasn't scared to interact with unclean things for the sake of chasing after a single person, that demon-possessed guy whom no one else could control or chain up. In fact, uh, we get the impression that the only time any other person had approached him was to chain him up. As in, this guy had zero social interaction except to try to be chained up and controlled. Like, Like, I can't imagine this guy's life. He's cutting himself with stones when we find him. And Jesus disregards, you know, the the, the Jewish um, prescriptive laws, which would have prohibited any good Jew from going near this dude. And Jesus himself violates that. So, in other words, all I'm saying is that God is so much bigger and more unpredictable than we can possibly imagine. And now I've spent 16 minutes talking about this one tattoo, which was supposed to be a small introduction to this podcast, but. It definitely goes with the theme tonight, which is simply midnight reflections on God. Now, changing topics a little bit, I've been preparing for a new book I'm going to put out. In some ways, uh, it's probably my most personal project I've worked on, and uh, it's I have I have a couple ideas bouncing around inside my old skull, and one of them is an autobiography, but told almost exclusively through poems and letters and journals I had written throughout my life. Um, So I've been going back through dozens of old notebooks in my room and just reading through them and uh, there's some good stuff in there, question mark, a lot of really cheesy stuff or a lot of really terrible poetry and songs and whatever. Uh ironically, I was reading through my journal from 2013, which is one of the years I was at Moody Bible Institute, and I was like, dang, I actually had some not bad thoughts and writings, and um, some of this stuff is actually kind of good. And um, I like some of the places I was, I was going with my thinking back then. So that was, f- wow, five years ago. And so I guess I'll read a, f- a few things from it almost as a sneak preview of my book, which I haven't even started working on, um, except to read back through these old journals and kind of um, put some thoughts together. And to be honest, as a side note, um, for me, putting books together like this, I don't expect anyone to actually buy them or read them, but I just love doing creative things. Like, it just kind of makes me feel alive when I have a project and an idea I'm working on. Sometimes they work out, like the new Lonely is still selling pretty well. If you haven't picked up a copy of The New Lonely, you can do that on Amazon. Uh, fun fact, The New Lonely was a number one bestseller in its category, which is, I think, Christian Relationships or something like that. It sounds really cheesy as I say it. Um, it held the number one spot there for two weeks, and I was blown away when that happened. I was like, what? I wrote a best-selling book? I guess you could stretch it and say that. But I'm really still stoked about that. That was my second book, and now I'm thinking of working on my fourth Um, But you can pick up The New Lonely and The Tall People, which is a collection of short stories. Um, Half of them are by me. Half of them are by other people who sent me their stories to be published together in one volume. Uh, So check out The Tall People. Um, Some of them are creepy. I would not recommend them for anyone under, like, I don't know, 10th or 11th grade at least. But yeah, check out both of those books if you're interested. The New Lonely is an exploration of modern loneliness uh, as opposed to 50-year-ago 50, 50 loneliness you know, experienced by people who were actually alone, whereas we are more connected than ever before and yet more lonely than ever before. Um, so you can check those out on Amazon. They're available by me, Ethan Renaud. Um Anyway, so I'm going to read something I found. It's a letter I wrote to... Um, A friend of mine, I was in Chicago, and she was in Colorado. So I'm just going to read a few bits and pieces of it that kind of stood out to me as I was like, wow, some of these thoughts are actually kind of cool. And yes, some of it is just me trying to be ultra poetic or um, prosy to impress her. So disregard that if it bothers you. Um, But anyway, here's some of the letter. Um, It starts out, Dear So-and-so. I'm sitting at the gate of the airport as the night slowly eases its grip on the light, letting the first rays of the dawn slip through the window behind me. As I said before, my tendencies in an airplane, airport, and other air-related things are to wax nostalgic and poetic. I've spent a long time looking for a thing I couldn't see, but when I finally could touch it, I found it lived in me. I've always enjoyed wrapping my fingers around things I can wrap my fingers around, which is why it took me so long to embrace the concept of God, the concept of something bigger than me loving me. Crazy. Now I'm on board the aircraft, sandwiched between two not-so-fun-sized gentlemen. It's kind of cozy in a way, like two big skin-covered teddy bears. As I write, my eyes grow heavy with the weight of an early, early morning. I won't last too long. So as I wait for takeoff, when I can finally allow my mind once more to be at rest, I find my mind seeking out innocent curiosities. Curiosities such as, Why would a beautiful, wild-haired girl with such great skin, such as yourself, be attracted to a mustachioed goon like me? Okay, I'm going to skip this part um, because I feel like it just gets cheesy. I really just like that part about God. It's so much easier for me to desire things I can see i.e. a girlfriend who I could hold in my arms and feel her warmth and smell her skin. And it's so much harder to desire the invisible God, the being who is beyond all being and substance and matter, but who entered into it himself. It's just so hard for me to force myself or to conjure up some kind of desire toward him. And that's something I've wrestled with for years. And if you know what that's like, then you are not alone. Anyway, here's uh, something else I wrote. It may have been on that same airplane ride. I'm not sure. My old journals are kind of haphazard. Uh, This poem goes like this. I'm up here in the plane today. You're down there skipping stones. I'm worth my weight in gold, they say. You're worth your weight in bones. This cocktail napkin epitaph assumes that love is real. So let's trade in our worshiping for something we can feel. Man. In 2013, I was, I was hitting it. Yeah, I really like that. Um, let's trade in our worshiping for something we can feel. The idea that God is unfeelable. The other night I was in the gym and had this, I don't know what to call it, an epiphany, a thought, um, maybe an existential crisis, depending on how you look at it, where I realized um, I was on the leg press machine and I was sitting there and I just like had this panic attack slash deep emotional distress where I kind of cried out to God inside my head and said, God, where are you? Why can't I feel you? You know, why why do you seem so far away and distant from me? And And in time, that thought kind of morphed into wondering if I want to feel God so bad, What would it actually feel like if I did feel him? And how would I know it's not my imagination playing tricks on me? And how do I know that it's actually God and um, not something just kind of emotional high or... You know, because you can go to a good concert of any genre and feel something. You can kiss a girl or a guy and feel something. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's God. You know, our emotions... Can't be trusted. So in that moment, I kind of had a a freak out, which led to another line of questioning, another freak out, which was, you know, if I can't trust myself to experience God in a deep, personal, tangible, real way, how do I know I can trust the Bible and all these people who have taught me so much about it? And how do I know it's actually the Word of God? Um, You know, is it just them experiencing things on their own and then claiming that it was God and then writing them down and or you know, like the atheists always say, is it just a bunch of guys who lived thousands of years ago who, uh, you know, were masters of rhetoric and reason and put this emotive book to, together to influence people? Uh, what is it and what can be trusted? And I realized in that moment that what I can lean on is history and the fact that prophecy has been fulfilled over time and God throughout time reveals himself. And uh, maybe this doesn't make any sense to you, uh, unless you're some kind of Bible scholar or you're in Bible school or something like that. Because I've heard this phrase, I've heard this kind of line of reasoning for years being in Bible school, but it never clicked before. Recently in seminary, we learned about how there are three pillars of Christian faith, right? Um, The center pillar, which is the one who really holds the weight This is the one that really is um, the most indispensable, which is scripture. On one side, you have tradition, which is basically how the church the past 2,000 years has read scripture and understood it and applied it. And on the other side of that, you have experience, which is how you experience God, interact with him. The life that you have lived and how you've seen God work through that. So basically... This other night in the gym, when I was having this meltdown, I started doubting my own experience. I said, what if every miracle I've ever seen was just a lie, and it's just my imagination, or I'm misremembering things, or, you know, experience can't be trusted. And I even questioned the second middle pillar, which is scripture. And I said, how do I know I can trust this book? It seems like just a bunch of words on pages a lot of the time. And I was really comforted, oddly, by that third pillar, which is history and God revealing Himself over time, um, often people say, "Like, well, why hasn't God come back yet? Why, you know, if He wants to save the world, why doesn't He just do it now?" And It's like, well, I feel like God is creative in how He reveals Himself over time. If the Bible had all happened within a span of, I don't know, five years, it would not have been impressive for someone six hundred years ago to say, like, you know, he shall be born in Bethlehem, and um, Isaiah, who said, um, the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be the suffering servant, you know, like all these prophecies from the Old Testament, wouldn't be impressive if the whole Bible was written in a couple years, you know, and there's a reason that it took thousands of years to compose this book, uh, this collection of 66 books, and even more so, how much, God has revealed himself and continued to reveal himself in world history since the New Testament was written. And we see things continue to happen. For instance, the desecration of the temple in 70 AD happened, um, obviously, after Jesus ascended back into heaven. But it was foretold in both Daniel and Revelation. um, And then it happened, you know, after these books were written. And we continue to see things that are relevant from scripture, from this ancient book, as God moves and acts in and through history. So for some weird reason, because I'm a theology nerd, that gave me comfort while I was sitting in the gym having this like mini meltdown. Um, and I was like, wow, if, if, if these people have clung to this truth for 2,000 years, I think I can too while I finish up my set in the gym. So um anyway, that's about all I have on these uh midnight ramblings on God with Ethan. Um I know that's far from expansive, but hopefully you gleaned a few things from it. Um my I don't know, poetic mind thinking about God and theology. Um one of my goals is always to communicate deep and rich and true theology. In a way that's innovative and creative and um, different and puts maybe a different spin or twist or presentation on ancient truth. So maybe that happened tonight. I feel like it did. I feel like a successful podcaster tonight. Um, Anyway, sorry again about last week missing it. Um, I'm going to try not to drop the ball again. But in my defense, there were a few weeks I released two podcasts at once. So I guess I'm not that far off. Um, Anyway. Um, I definitely, as always, want desperately to hear your thoughts, uh, your feedback, your comments, questions, uh, complaints, concerns. Um, is Ethan going insane? I don't know. Write me and find out. Hit the contact button on ethanrenault.com. Sends an email directly to me. Um, it's also Ethan at um, Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but never actually on it because I don't have the app anymore, but it's there, I guess. But email is by far the best, quickest, most efficient way to get a hold of me. Um, Let me know what you'd want to hear me talk about for future podcasts. Did you like these midnight reflections on God while my brain is half asleep? Or do you prefer interviews or more things like this or probably more things about dating, if we're honest? Um, I do have a bunch of thoughts on that as I have some experiences to share, but I'm not going to share anything yet. Um, Anyway, um, I'll let you guys go. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's edition of Abscond with Ethan Renault. Yeah, thank you guys again. Love you all. Enjoy your day.